GrowCFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got with me Alexis Kingsbury. Now, Alexis runs a company that specializes in giving you a system to map your processes, document your processes. And I am really conscious that one of the things that a fast-growing organization often doesn't have is well-documented processes. So we're going to talk today about how we overcome that problem. So firstly, Alexis, welcome to the Grow CFO Show. Thank you very much for having me, Kevin, and it's really good to be here. Tell me a little bit about you and your background. Yeah, sure. So I'm a, basically call me a serial entrepreneur in that I've had many businesses over the, I think it works out as about 25 years that I've had businesses or started businesses in various forms. I started early as a teenage entrepreneur, setting up various businesses, but struggling to scale them. I couldn't work out how once I got busy, how to free up my time and be able to scale it. And so I'd often conclude that the problem was that the business model was wrong. So I'd start another business and another and another. (laughs) And so washing cars, selling headsets, building computers, providing IT support, lots of different businesses that I have done over many years. Well, I just couldn't work out how to scale it. And so I essentially gave up and became a man. Well, I studied management science at university to try and learn it there and learn a lot, but still couldn't work out how to scale the businesses. So I became a management consultant and I worked with large organizations, helping them solve their biggest problems, particularly around their people and process issues, which is where I really learned that's how you scale. It's a combination of people and process. And you can get by with amazing people and poor processes or amazing processes and okay or poor people. But where if you're really looking for scale and non-stressful scale, like happy scale, then what you want is both. You want good people, good processes are amazing in both of those camps. And then the business really stings. And when I learned that, that was a really sort of eye-opening experience. And so when I then left management consulting to go set up my own businesses, first a consulting practice, and then since then a couple of software businesses, also a training business, which I sold, like it was by applying what I learned that uh, I really started to, to be able to scale and you know, fast forward a, a few years, built a seven-figure business, global team with employees in nine countries across five continents, working with over 600 organizations around the world, including well-known brands like PwC and Swarovski and 3M and Pepsi and so on. So I kind of went on a journey that I honestly thought entrepreneurship and building businesses and scaling them would be easier, particularly given that I studied business studies at A-level and management science at uni. I thought I was doing all the right things. And it was really only through failing repeated times in my own businesses that I kind of realized what I was doing wrong and found a different approach. And even when, you know, even once I started my own businesses after being a management consultant, I still really struggled to delegate. And it was only after really spending a lot of time, you know, reading all the books, speaking to the all the smartest people I knew and some of the not so smart ones that seemed to have even more successful businesses. I was able to put it all together over a period. I think it took about three years. I put together an approach that provided me a kind of end-to-end approach that meant that even someone like me who had really struggled to delegate and to scale and build a team uh, was able to do so successfully. So so that was kind of my journey. And we created Air Manual as as my new software business, uh, really to help other business leaders to sort out their processes and onboarding uh, within their teams and giving their teams the guidance that they need so that they can be successful and apply the lessons and the approach that we developed within our own companies. Yeah. So I'm certainly thinking about one of the ways that I work will be, oh, it's easier just to do this myself than spend the time to teach somebody else how to do it. And I think that also reflects a lot in the way many finance leaders work the number one in finance should be losing all of their back office work and directing themselves much more at advising the ceo doing things with investors customers suppliers and so on they shouldn't be doing the day-to-day accounts but quite often i think because 
that's where their skill base is. That's where they felt comfortable moving up through the organization. They kind of know how to do all those tasks. They kind of never really hand them over to other people. Now, anything to me gives somebody a simple way to be able to get those tasks that are taking up so much time off their desk and somebody else has to be a good way forward. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think particularly when you take an area here like finance, and we've spoken a number of times before about how we've interestingly had sort of somewhat similar careers in, in some uh, stages of our work life, where we've worked with organizations around their finance processes. And one of the things that I think exactly as you say, there's this tendency to think, well, you know, I'll just do it myself. And there's a number of reasons for that, whether it's urgency, you know, the feeling of, oh, I need to do my month end close, you know, we're trying to do a five day cycle. And it's now day four, I haven't got time to pass this to someone else. And then, of course, you do it yourself, but then you don't spend the next 25 days <laughs> handing it over to someone else and you have the same problem a month later. Or it's that feeling of, well, I'm the expert in this. I know how the chart of accounts is laid out and therefore I'll be able to make those decisions faster than if I pass it over to someone else. Maybe even the thought occurs to them that no one else can do this or I'm the best person to do this. And those are very limiting thoughts because, of mm. course, I've been fortunate enough to work with like group CFOs of large organizations like AstraZeneca and Sony and so on. Like they're not doing bookkeeping <laughs> in their businesses. No. They're, not, they're not doing month then. They're not doing staff. They're not doing those things. They've got more and more strategic in the business. How? By continuously letting go of the, in relative terms, lower value activities. And doing that is a really important exercise for all of us. I think in any career is that that practice of working out what's the next level of high value I can deliver, you know, whether you're a salesperson or whatever, like that's how you can deliver more impact. And I think that for CFOs, it's, yeah, it's being able to let go of those activities. In fact, I remember working back when I was a consultant working for a London-based consultancy. I remember doing a project with Transport for London. And I remember one of the smartest finance leaders that I come across, I remember him saying that his aim was to essentially make himself redundant in that role and so on. And I thought that was such a powerful like lens to apply for what he was doing. Now, because of course, the opposite viewpoint is, oh, I'll make the business so dependent on me, it couldn't possibly operate without me. And therefore, you know, that somehow means that I've got this, you know, job set for life and so on. Whereas the reality is what you create is a really stressful job. And at some point it will cause a problem. And at some point you will be looking for an opportunity to move on or to move up or take on more interesting things. And you're not able to because the department, the, the processes are so dependent on you. And so yeah. I loved this, you know, this approach that he had of, I kind of want to make myself redundant and continually go through that loop. I've got another mentor that describes as firing yourself from tasks. And I think it's a really healthy attitude to take, particularly you're not trying to do the whole role all in one go. You're trying to take those relatively lower value activities, those things that can be passed. And ultimately, everything you do could be passed to someone else. So it's just about doing them in the appropriate order so that you can add more value, more strategic value, help better decision making of the business rather than be stuck in the transactions. Absolutely. And now, there's another thing around a lot of finance processes. They need to happen generally on a particular day or they have to happen on a regular drumbeat. Now, if you've got a member of staff that's doing something that's suddenly off sick for more than a day or so, how's that process going to continue? If that process is locked in their head, well, how do you get somebody else to go do it and do it right? So I've got a view that says, just besides getting rid of stuff yourself, if you're a finance leader, the stuff you've got rid of, well, it should be able to be done by more than one person in your team. Maybe Absolutely. there's one person that specializes, it's written into their job description to do it, but there should always be a backup person as well. So if you don't have documented processes and set instructions on how to do things, how do you survive? Yeah, indeed. And I think one of the problems is that, of course, that often ends up with a situation where the business or the, or the team has got 
kind of process is documented hmm. where they say well oh, you know so it's kind of documented like maybe there's some a high level powerpoint somewhere that uh, at a high level covers the the month end close or maybe somewhere as part of a financial controls policy document somewhere there's in theory stuff around how bank reconciliations are reconciled to different charts of accounts or maybe that's put covered in some reporting system somewhere like and the problem is when you have kind of processes documented, it means that it actually holds the business back because it means that you hold back from fixing some of your problems. So, for example, when you've kind of got business, uh, processes documented, but not really, it means that when you bring someone in or when, as you say, someone goes sick or on holiday or they have a bereavement or they change jobs and everyone else has to deal with it, they have no idea where to find those processes. They don't know is it a Word document in the shared drive? Is it in a spreadsheet that's uh, related to the particular thing? Is it in our reporting system? Is it in our one file? And they've got no idea where it is. And so either they spend a lot of time trying to find it and then maybe even not finding the right thing, or they give up and start from scratch, in which case, what was the point in having it documented? And of course, then they make mistakes and they make the same mistakes that have been made in the past that in theory could have just been improved by improving the processes and so on. And so the pain is common. I think a lot of teams, CFOs, finance leaders have seen the pain. They've seen the pain around slow processes that mean that it's hard to get like your month and close done on time or the statutory accounts are being done right up to the last minute when you've got an accountant saying that, you know, you're going to get a fine because <laughs> you've not got this submitted. So many finance leaders have experienced that or they've experienced that pain of repeated mistakes where something gets the wrong VAT treatment or the wrong count coding or maybe the business leaders want reports in a particular way and it wasn't done in that way and then they fixed it. But then the next time they provide the reports in the same old way again and that causes a load of frustration and headache and doesn't make you look very good. Or maybe finance leaders have had the experience of bringing in a new team member and it just taking months or even years for that person to get to a point that they can do all of the things that they need to do without needing like ongoing constant support and answering questions. I think those problems are ones that finance leaders have all experienced at some point Absolutely. in their careers. Okay. I think the problem that I experienced both as a consultant and then initially with my own businesses was, but how do I solve this? Like there's, there doesn't appear to be a good solution. And the, the old approach that most people have used and that, you know, I frankly essentially used to use as a consultant, I found um, becomes a mess. People don't know where to find things. Things go out of date when they do follow processes. They're hard to follow. They make mistakes. They miss steps. They have to ask questions, all of that pain happens with the standard approach documenting processes. And I think it means that you kind of fall out of love, even the idea of documenting and delegating. And so although sort of in theory, I think most people get that, yes, I do need to document and delegate. Yes, having documented processes is sensible. I think the problem is that, but how do I do it right when I've seen it done wrong and with so much pain in the past? How do I avoid ending up stuck in that same rut? And that has really been the focus for us over, over the last sort of five years has been how do you fix that problem and how do you do it in a way that means that you start getting value immediately rather than having to run a three to 12 month project and then start getting value. Like when we work with business leaders now, we're able to get the returns on investment of their time and money within a couple of weeks and then yeah. by exponential value after that point. But that And that's key because it removes one of the biggest pain points that people have around this, which is I don't want to spend days or weeks, months documenting stuff and then find out whether or not it's going to work and make my life better. I want to start getting that value up front. And as we've discovered, that is possible. Okay. So if I put my management consultant's hat on yeah, and I've been called in by a client to have a look at a, a process, say we're, we're working with somebody with the, the objective is to improve their month end. Yeah. What would I do to start off with? I'd get the people that are involved in the process in a room. Yep. I'd get a large piece of brown paper, pin yep. it to the wall, give folk a pile of post-it notes and say, right, it's day one. What happens? Start putting post-it notes on the piece of brown paper and start developing the workflow that they're telling me about. Build it up and use post-it notes because Generally, my experience is that people don't tell you quite the right process to start with. Yeah, and it gives around. you the ability to move things around or 
You know, when you see something that, that's on there and it's not quite clear what triggers that, you can then put the post-it note in before that that triggers that. You can move things around and then eventually you get to the point you've got this process documented. You try and put it into swim lanes, which yeah. will show you the people doing things and it'd show you the handoffs between people and you'd gradually get a process together and you'd start then challenging. You'd start seeing perhaps some of the dependencies that are mm-hmm. on the process map. You'd start seeing where maybe the bottlenecks are in the process and you'd move forward trying to shuffle things around and design a new process. Now, that would be my approach to documenting and improving a process. Now, what would your approach be then, Alex? Would it be similar? Would it be something completely different? Yeah, so I guess there's a couple of pieces to this. So the first thing is to say that's a good approach, and, and particularly for when we're trying to transform or unpick a complex process, particularly one that spans multiple departments and so on. So in the past, you know, when I've done projects with, say, teams at Sony PlayStation, I have run workshops with that brown paper and those post-it notes where we've been working out, for example, their bundling process, where they're agreeing a combination of hardware and software and peripherals and how all that comes together and how it goes into a very special box for it and how even like how does that bundle get created in the marketing stages like that involves every single part of the business finance marketing sales operations logistics everything everyone and when they identified okay this is causing us pain there's no individual person that even knows what that process looks like end to end and so you're exactly right Getting everyone in the room so that you can map that out, at least at a high level, is a powerful way of doing it because it allows you to break it up into the component parts. I guess the disconnect and the bit that I start to see pain is when you start to get into the level of detail so that people can actually do it. So that works really well when you're reorganizing the whole thing. And for example, deciding, well, actually, currently we submit a business case to finance to agree that we're going to do X, Y, Z bundle. But actually, we should be doing that after we've got the information from operations on how much it's going to cost. Otherwise, we do the business case without that. They approve it without the corporations cost. Operations tell us it's too expensive and then we loop back. So let's reorder that. Let's get operations involved earlier. That can be done at a high level, exactly as you say, with post-it notes and so on. The tricky bit is how do you get to a point that you've actually got a finance administrator, a project manager, an operations assistant doing the doing? How do you get to a point where day-to-day they are making those decisions and saying, okay, yeah, because of X, Y, and Z, I now need to send it to this person for approval. Here's the information I'm going to provide them with, or here's what I need to update in the project management system, or here's how I'm getting, like that level of detail, you don't include any post-it notes, right? Like that became an absolute pain and you can't even do it on your Visio wizard swim lane diagrams and so on and so ultimately you end up needing to get to that level and what we would advocate is that for that you need checklists the problem is that we have solved through using air manual is how do you avoid that becoming unwieldy how do you make it possible to zoom out and see at a high level okay for example in my businesses i'll look at finance and i can see okay there's banking there's accounts receivable, there's accounts payable, there's tax, there's M&A and so on. I can see at a high level what are those areas. And then I can dive in and I can see within accounts payable, there's make payments to suppliers, there's make payments to employees and so on. I can see that high level. I can then go into that and I can see next level down and I can see, okay, when I'm making, when someone's making payments to suppliers, here's the high level steps. They can then go even further and it's all concertina so that you're not scared off by a 70 page Word document. <laughs> You can dive in where you need to and so that you can get to that level of detail, because sometimes that's exactly what needs to happen. You need to be able to get to the point where you go, well, actually, where do we collect that piece of data that tells us the thing later on? Like, where does that come in this process? And being able to go and look at that and pull that out or add it in and and so on. And so I think that's the difference is that yes post-it note exercise is fantastic where where you're just trying to get a handle on what's the high level process but once you're getting to a point where you're saying okay i need to hand over the ability to send an invoice or i need to hand over the ability to do a month end close on the accounts 
there you don't need like post-it notes all over these things you need a series of steps that someone can follow and so that's where then it's actually a lot easier when you do create it linear i was talking to a a client earlier today where he's saying i love the fact that it feels north to south it's top to bottom it's going through the checklist and that's something that anyone can understand your most junior finance administrator may struggle with a complex swim lane diagram that doesn't then relate to the detail that they have, whereas everyone knows how to deal with a checklist. My seven-year-old and my nine-year-old use an air manual checklist every Sunday to get their bags ready for school, right? But, you know, that's complex. It includes getting the swim gear and putting them in the right bag for the right day and getting their PE kit, which is slightly different to the games kit, and making sure they've got their snacks for, you know, all these sorts of things. They're age seven, age seven and nine, but they can follow a checklist. They can't follow a process diagram with swim lanes that's laminated and stuck on a wall and ignored and never updated, which is what my experience as being a management consultant was and very frustrating one it was too with most of the clients that when we stopped working with them. So that's where you kind of... I think what we're saying here is there are two completely different purposes for process mapping, process documentation, and it depends what the purpose of it is, the approach you take. So the approach that I described to start off with is great to get a high level process down, spot the problems and then redesign a better process. Yeah, process transformation is essentially that, right? And particularly at a high level, because when we work with clients, like we will often help them solve problems in a process where it is possible to do it as a list. Like it doesn't require the complexity of a flowchart and swim lanes Mm -hmm. and all these things. You can, for example, when we're working with an accounting firm, sorting out their client onboarding process. Yeah. Yes, there's multiple people involved. Yes, there's the account manager, there's the salesperson, there's the bookkeeper, there's the tax advisor and so on. But actually, it's a largely linear process that particularly from the client's experience that they need to go through in a series of things that need to be done. And sometimes, you know, they skip a few steps, but ultimately need to come back and make sure they've done their VAT, like provide their VAT information or whatever. Like there are a series of things that need to happen. And so I've got consultants in my team who have are live on a call with that client said, okay, talk me through, where do we start? Like you've got a client who says, yeah, I want to sign up. What's the first thing that you do? And they super fast get the whole thing, just captured down as a series of steps and until you can like reorder them and so on. When exactly as you say, when invariably you realize, oh, actually we should be doing that, not seventh, but second and reordering it or, you know, or going, actually that should just be a detailed step within this, or that should be a separate training document. Like you can still do that, but often it's, powerful to have that simplicity and thinking it in a much more linear way which honestly was not my preference like when i was documenting processes in my organization before i essentially learned this uh, way of doing it my preference was pretty complex process diagrams where i felt like yeah the logic is useful and it's got this lovely layout and so on but the reality was that it made it very difficult to a hand over but b particularly hand over the management and on uh, and continuing improvement of it it kind of felt like it was very much my baby that process document and so i'd find that team wouldn't update it they'd come back to me to make any changes and so on because it wasn't simple and the logic wasn't clear and so as much as possible and certainly for if i think about all of the finance processes i have in my business they're all mapped out as checklists even for complex stuff around time sheeting and management of payroll across nine different countries and so on and it's all possible to just have it kind of documented out as these checklists. So, yeah. So talk me through how this would work. You're, you say doing payroll. Mm-hmm. How would the checklist for that, that work? Would you get a checklist for what has to be done on a particular day or tell me more? Yeah, sure. So yeah, we could take something like a, let's take a monthly payroll process. So you might say every month, UK employees need to have their monthly payroll done. And I smile because it very much depends on which country as to whether it's monthly or fortnightly and when it falls and what needs to be done. So we have different processes for different countries and our employees. But if I take one of the more simple one, which would be UK payroll, then there are a series of steps. So we, in Air Manual, you have a process dashboard, which you can drill down by team. So for example, for the finance team, they've got, their process dashboard where they can see here's all of our processes broken down by banking and payroll and so on 
And then here's when they're next due to be done. And they'll be highlighted red if there's anything that's overdue. And you can set up frequency, right? So like every week or every month or whatever. So in this case, monthly. So my finance administrator would know, but if she missed it for any reason as part of the weekly finance meeting, they'd look at the process dashboard and go, oh, that's red. Better get that done. But she'd have it in her calendar. Anyway, that's kind of last resort. So she would click on it, click use checklist and then would follow through the steps. And so those steps might include checking our absence tracker to check for any unpaid leave that needs to be considered rather than just paid leave and the impact on the payroll or any changes to their hours. So you might also need to check a different system or a spreadsheet to see whether anyone's hours have changed in that period. Should then also need to update that in our payroll framework, must admit increasingly realizing it's been quite a while since I delegated this. I'm really, I'm less connected to it now. But uh, from memory, it should update that in whatever it is, the spreadsheet or in our system. And then in our case, that then gets submitted to our external accountant who would then check all that over, raise any questions, concerns, you know, implications for holiday. You know, if you've had someone that's left the organization partway through the period and what that means and so on. So they'd do their checks. And then assuming that's all okay, then they would you know, upload it into the payroll system and upload that into our accounting system and make all the payments. And some of that might be an automatic backs run, or maybe there's some more complexity. And so those steps would be detailed. That's the key is that as much as possible, you want to automate, right? Wouldn't it be lovely if you could just go, I press a button called do payroll and it just does it. It's like, yes, of course we'd love that. But it's more complex than that because you've got things like changing of hours and unpaid and people leaving or taking sabbaticals or, you know, going on sick beyond the five days or whatever. Like all of that complexity gets built in. And even the most sophisticated accounting and HRIS tools struggle with some of these parameters and use cases. And so ultimately somewhere you end up needing manual steps to check for things or to fix things. And so that's where a checklist allows you to go, okay, yeah, check for this, check for that. Like we've had a problem in the past when an employee has done overtime, but it's processed in this particular way. So this is how you need to deal with it. And then here's how to do it in the system. And so you'd have that like detailed out as a series of steps that they can check off as they go along, capture any notes or data as part of the process. And then ultimately hit complete checklist once it's all done and jobs are good. In. And of course, if at any point there was any mistake, like if you've, uh, if an employee goes, oh, I didn't get paid or I got paid the wrong amount or whatever, then you can go back and you can, rather than attack the person, you can attack the process. You know, that's okay. one of the big benefits of having processes documented is that rather than saying, oh, you know, Jenny didn't get paid this month or Jenny got paid too much, you know, Sally, why didn't you do the payroll correctly? Like you need to work harder next month, you know, be more careful. Like Sally didn't make that mistake on purpose. That's why it's a mistake. The problem is, yes, there might be personal problems. Maybe she's got something going on at home. Maybe she's been promoted into a job that she's not yet ready for. But in my experience, most of the problems come down to process. And the question should really be, where did the process let us down? Where is it that we didn't have a step for Sally to check that there was some absence or whatever it was. And where would she then update that? Or maybe she manually puts them something in a spreadsheet, made a typo in the formula. It's like, okay, so how do we stop that in future? Is there, can we create a spreadsheet that's got lot formulas that she can use as a calculator so that this doesn't become a problem in the future? Like, and build that straight into the process so that you don't repeat mistakes and that you can continuously improve based on practice, best practice. Mm -hmm. Like in my organization, it's, I always think it's funny that I sometimes forget that in most businesses, they are used to having repeated mistakes and frustration between teams because I've had so long now where that isn't the case. Like if we have a mistake, we raise it as an issue, we fix it in the process, and it never happens again. <laughs> yeah. And I often forget how unusual that is. But that comes about when you've got processes that are actually used and maintained and used in that way. Yeah. Now, what you're telling me about here, Alex, is kind of solving what I see the three big process systems issues being in finance right now. Challenge number one will normally be, how do I take time out of month end? Well, a lot of the time in month end is probably correcting errors before yeah. you're happy with number to publish them. So how do I get a process put together that gives me the right numbers first time round? 
So we can we can build a process, we can spot where things are going wrong, we can improve the process just by putting the right steps in it, the right instructions to check things and so on. Second big problem that finance has got is automation. Automation mm-hmm. is the big, big hot subject at the moment. We're, yeah. we're running within a future finance function session. We've been running a series of regular workshops about automation. And first step in automating something is to actually have the process that you're trying to automate documented. And as you say, some of the steps are quite complex, need a person involved. Others of the steps, great, you can automate, but you don't know that until it's all written down. Third problem is just simply the cost of any process of errors. Typically, putting a consulting hat on, how would I take cost out of a finance function? Well, one of the things that you take cost out of a finance function by doing is just generally reducing the amount of rework. Yeah, absolutely. Running payroll generally is a very simple, straightforward process until somebody is paid wrong. Yeah. Then when somebody's paid wrong, you could unscramble that, correct the error and pay them or somehow claw back the amount of money that wasn't correct. That running the payroll in the first place might have taken one person a couple of hours. Yeah. Correcting the mistake might take one person three hours. Could take longer than Days. actually running the payroll did. And their managers to have the conversations with them and to apologize. Yeah, absolutely. And and the fact that that person then perhaps couldn't make their rental payment that month because the money didn't land in the account at the right time. And yeah. Yeah. I can see three huge, huge use cases for this. Yeah, I love that. I think that's, I really love that summary. I'll I'll just add quick thoughts on each of those three. So, exactly as you say, with like the month end, if you want to reduce that time, exactly as you say, you want to remove the errors and the having to fix stuff. And of course, one of the big things is like your reconciliations. If you're reconciling things to the wrong accounts, then it creates your problem in your month end. So that means that you can't see the right things. And of course, that's where a lot of the complexity is. And what we've done for our business is essentially an iterative process of when there's weird stuff in your bank reconciliations, rather than just fixing it, working out in our bank reconciliation process, what needs to be in there to make that clearer, right? Whether it's, okay, how do you deal with the fact that it was a US dollar payment that's come through in pounds, but the fee doesn't show correctly and all these sorts of things like you need all of yeah, that's that. That's the classic but, one where you get the, yeah. the invoices in US dollars, but the credit card covered into sterling, therefore yeah. payments don't match on the bank rec. Yeah. And it's the sort of thing that eventually you'll get a senior finance person who can either tell you the answer or can make a judgment decision on what's going to be appropriate material and so on in the organization. You don't want that to happen every time these things come through. You want that baked into the process so that it just happens in that way. And I think that's really important. I think your second point around automation, I think, is absolutely spot on. And in fact, we talk about automation there. And of course, there's an area of automation, which is artificial intelligence. Uh, as well, which has become you know a big thing. In fact, we wrote an ebook on it. I've got a copy here, which is like the the business leader's guide uh, <clears throat> to using AI and Chat GPT, where we've seen working with our clients and other businesses, like where the power of using these tools is not to be underestimated. Like how much you can take five hour tasks and get them done in thirty minutes when you're making good use of AI to do things that previously. Honestly, I feel like we had a bit of a flattening of technological improvement around automation for a little while. And suddenly we're seeing huge steps forward in businesses like Stripe that are using AI to do really advanced fraud detection and so on. But, uh, you know, accounting and finance is a huge area that's going to have massive disruption as a result of the ability for AI to do better jobs of things like reconciliations and being able to analyze trends and support us with decision making but you know finance people need to be understand those things to to make use of that um, i can share a link for people to get a, a copy of this if um if useful but like i think applying yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes if you yeah if you... sure applying those things to as you say to free up time and automate some of those things but also you can't then just go oh yeah we'll just use an automation or we just use an ai it needs the process around it what triggers that automation? What happens when it goes wrong? What do you do with what gets spit out the other end? How do you make sure that it's done correctly is still a manual process and you have some from steps and that's why you kind of need the manual there. I think I also love your point around the cost of errors. The cost of rework is so incredible. Like I think often we underestimate it. Certainly 
outside of finance, people underestimate the costs of errors, both in time and financial value. It's amazing to me when we work with our clients and say, often we'll say, okay, what's the biggest problem that you're looking to solve? And I remember one particular example where they said, yeah, it's it's kind of returns. We're not great at returns. We get these product returns and we don't really manage them properly. Some of the products should be being resold. They're, you know, they're returned because the customer changed their mind or whatever. And we're not able to do that properly. And as a result, it's you know costing us. And so initially the way it was talked about, it felt like, ah, oh, you know, there's a few products. It's probably thousands of pounds worth of impact. <laughs> and essentially there were a couple of people in the room who went, oh, actually we've done some analysis on this in the run up to this call. It's like, oh, great. What's the cost? When they explained just two or three costs that came out of these mistakes and immediately got to six figures in cost for each of them. And it was at that point that the business leaders went, actually, thank you so much for sharing this. Please stop because it's making me feel sick. (laughs) I think we're all on board (laughs) that we need to solve this problem. Because gut feel was that it was single digit thousands. Like maybe it's 5,000, 7,000, 10,000, 9,000 sold. And actually... When they looked at it, it easily went in six figures, hundreds of thousands of pounds wasted on mistakes. And of course, same goes for for any part of your finance, whether it's dealing with the fallout from payroll errors or dealing with your state, finding out that your tax claims not accurate and therefore you're massively overpaying in your tax or whatever. Like those make material differences to businesses. Like cash flow yeah. is a really big area, right? We're in the process of writing a guide for how to put processes in place to improve your cash flow, which people can reach out to me to get a copy of that once that comes out. But like, it's amazing when we started researching that, the huge numbers of ways in which you can improve your cash flow, and yet the equal number of ways in which small mistakes can make huge swings in your cash flow position. Like just when you're paying your suppliers or whatever it is, can make huge difference to whether you're going to be positive or negative week to week, month to month. Yeah. And, and that knowing how a, a purchase to pay process should work in a big organization, and you'd be aiming to get as many supplier invoices as possible paid automatically. So in a big company, you'd have three-way matching in place. So yeah. first of all, they receive, they send you a purchase order. Okay. Then you will dispatch the goods against that purchase order, and you should be sending a delivery note with them. Big company will match delivery note to purchase invoice, purchase order rather. Purchase order says we ordered 10. Delivery note says we've delivered 10 matches. Yeah. Then you send them an invoice. Invoice says here's 10 at £3.50 each. Bang. Right. It all matches up. Order says, yes, they were £3.50 on the order. Great. Tick in the box. We ordered this. It was an approved order. Pay it automatically. Right. So if you as the supplier, failed to the purchase order number on the delivery note will it match in their system automatically no it won't that'll go into some manual process in yeah. big corp manual process in big corp means well doesn't get in the pay run in time you don't get paid simple as that yeah and so as a result for the supplier you need your process for how you send an invoice to include okay get the po this is how you get the PO, where you get the PO, where the information needs to go so that we get paid correctly. This is where the invoice needs to be sent. This is you know, how it needs to be yeah. matched up and so on. All of that knowledge around how you make sure that you get paid on time makes a huge difference, right? And so <laughs> if you as the supplier don't have that process in place, yeah, it's a pain nightmare. Yeah. But equal, of course, for the customer in that arrangement there's a whole manual process at the beginning around how do you trigger the po like how do you create it as a po and what's the rules around what you can create i remember doing um, a project for a part of government which i will not name because the story doesn't work favorably for them where one of the things that i was looking at was their process around procurement and we identified that essentially it was taking like that about 40 or 50 people across the organization that were responsible for raising POs and doing some of that matching and so on. And they were looking at basically like, why isn't this less? Like we've invested in SAP, you know, we've, this should be really efficient now. And what I identified is essentially the automation bit is fine. The issue is the human bit up front. It's the fact that, for example, and I need to anonymize it slightly, So I'm going to use an analogy. Let's imagine that rather than buying a toolbox of a variety of tools, hammer, screwdriver, et cetera, let's say that there were purchase orders being raised for each individual tool. 
So you've got a hammer at five pounds and a screwdriver at eight pounds and so on, which means that certain delegations of authority criteria around the value that requires approval or whatever wasn't, you know, was essentially being avoided, not on purpose, not maliciously, but just through bad process. And so that's one problem, right, is that you might be putting tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds of business through a supplier where without the normal checks and balances, because it was being put through as a series of five pound transactions. So that's an issue. But also the huge amount of additional workload, because now you've got thousands of purchase orders and thousands of invoices and delivery notes and follow ups and whatever, where you should have one or two. And that's a manual process problem. That's not 40 or 50 procurement people across the organization that are malicious or incompetent idiots, right? That's a lack of clear process and guidance and onboarding and training so that they do a good job. Imagine how much that was costing the organization before we fix that, right? And I've got a strong belief that people do not show up at work to do a bad job. No, they don't. Of course, the vast majority of poor performance stems from inadequate process documentation and explaining what you want, inadequate training, and inadequate instruction and coaching. Yeah, 100%. And it's really rare, like in our experience working with organizations to fix these sorts of problems, like 95% of the time, maybe even more than that, it's a process issue, right? And in fact, it always is initially a process issue in our experience. And so we've had clients where we fix fundamental problems in their business by fixing the processes that previously they they didn't think was possible. There are a rare number of occasions where the business leader will say to us, look, Alexis, you know, we've put in the processes, most of the team are now doing a good job with this. We've just got one team member who won't follow the process. What do I do? And the answer I give to that is like, well, let's say that we've got Sally who's made out her payroll ish, uh, error. The first time it happens, we say, Okay, Sally, this error was made. And as a result, someone didn't get paid correctly. First question, did you follow the process? Now you want her to be able to say, yes, I did. And for that to be a realistic expectation. If you can't set a realistic expectation that she even knows where to find the process, that's not good. (laughs) And yet that's where most organizations are, right? It's like, oh, I didn't know there was a process or I looked over here, but I couldn't find it. Like your processes need to be in one place but then the next thing is okay so did you follow and find that process and if she did then you can go through okay where did this step get missed is there some guidance missing so on now as i say i've occasionally had a business leader say like they didn't follow the process it's like okay fine so now you talk to them about the impact the mistake had and as a result why it's important to follow the process because otherwise it costs us tens of thousands of pounds it costs us many hours in fixing the issue it costs causes all this frustration sally do you get where i'm coming from it's okay brilliant yes and so what does sally decide in future she'll follow the process because although she thought she had it in her head turns out she made a mistake okay no problem sally less than none now let's say it happens again the very next month sally makes a similar mistake or a slightly different mistake and we say sally did you follow the process no i didn't okay Now we're getting into performance issue. And the analogy I'd use is imagine that you go into a toilet at a service station or a hotel and they've got one of those tick sheets where the cleaner has to sign off that they've like checked the toilet for cleanliness and done all those things. Now imagine you see a cleaner who just goes in, signs it and walks out. Like every hour goes in, signs it, walks out. Don't but it doesn't bother looking, just signs it and walks out. What would you expect from that services or hotel manager? You wouldn't expect that they could just go, no worries, Sally. You know what you're doing. It's fine that you haven't followed the process. You performance man to mouth. That's a very, very simple conversation to have, which is a few we've had mistakes like a number of times now. We know that the solution is to follow the process. We've discussed that and you've agreed that, and yet you still haven't done it. As a result, I think that this isn't going to be a good fit for you going forward because these mistakes and so on are just too costly to the business. I'm really sorry. And that's the conversation that you'd have, right? But that's the last resort. And normally you don't get there. So, Alexis, what we're saying is really a well-documented process is simply no more than a set of checklists that tell you what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, organized by who needs to do them. And possibly alongside that checklist, there are some notes that give you more detailed instructions. It's literally as simple as that. Yes. And the power is in that simplicity. Right. You know, it's often said that making something simple isn't simple. (laughs) And for us to get to this point, it has been incredibly challenging. But what we've found is when you create that simplicity in your organization, when you've got that 
clarity on the roles and responsibilities of the different parts of your finance function and wider when you've got that clarity and what are the high level steps and that you're able in your team to quickly make changes when you identify mistakes or opportunities for improvement that's where huge power comes from that and the elegance of of being able to do it through simple checklists is really powerful you know it, it makes all the difference and we've helped business leaders free up hundreds of hours and remove the stress and save tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds in mistakes and actually unlock growth. Like that's the really powerful thing is when you start removing bottlenecks like this, it actually helps you grow the business because you're able to spend more time on high value tasks and you're able to remove the things that are ultimately choking the, the progress of the business. So what we need is all of these processes put into a document of some nature that can handle checklists and that document be accessible to all the people that need to see it in a place that they know where it's kept. Your process documentation could be thinking about this. It could be a Word document. It could be a spreadsheet. It could be something like that. But let's say you're documenting month end. Well, it'd be nice to have a load of tick boxes next to the checklist. So maybe you want to duplicate the spreadsheet once a month so you get a whole load of blank tick boxes and so on so you can start again and go through the process but you've got air manual is that essentially what air manual does yes it does and so i think as you say like that's what you want is you want all of your processes in one place you want it easy to be able to search and find the the process that you need to follow and as you say you want the ability to have a simple checklist that you can interact with and tick off as you go along you also want the ability to be able to expand and contract areas based on whether you want you know the detail and the warnings and the screenshots and the videos and whatever that are relevant but also be able to see the high level and that's what we created with air manual because those things aren't easy in word and excel and powerpoint and all these other tools like that's what we experienced like that's what we used initially in our businesses but found that it just creates too much friction like it isn't easy for example if you provide a word document on ah here's a word document with all of our finance processes that does not make it easy to go and find your month end process and if you've got it as a one document for month end okay great i've now got my month end document but now it's still too long for me to remember where was i in this process like you know from the following day like you know because i had to go off and do 20 other things and equally if you start ticking things off as you go along you know that's maybe fine but then what if you identify a way in which you want to improve it now you need to update the document you're working on but also then the template And so that creates friction, which means that people don't do it, which means that you might fix the mistake this time around, but not in the original template. And also you can't track progress. Like if I get halfway through and then go off sick, how does someone else know where I'd got to? Because that's not obvious. And so, and I could go on, like there's a whole raft of issues and problems that we discovered, encountered in our own businesses and working with other business leaders with what these sorts of tools do and so that's why you need a purpose-built system that's why you need a process management system and you know these sets of tools have become available over the last few years really in the same way as you've got a project management system your sales team will have a customer relationship management system you've got an accounting system for for doing your book uh, books you could do everything with spreadsheets in your business like you could do all of your accounts and spreadsheets and all of your crm and everything it's just not a very good idea right (laughs) i did an episode on like how many tools do you need in your business for my podcast de-stressyourbusiness.com and i just talked about like in theory, it's like you could do everything with one. In practice, you want more than that. And quite quickly, and even the first few years of business, you get to double digits, right? And sensibly, not because you've got too many, but because they add value and save you from hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of people cost and so on. So it's valuable to have that. And so that's why we created Air Manual as a process management system, but also not just creating your processes, but making it possible for you to onboard people, making it possible that when you bring in a new team member, you can get them up to speed in days rather than months or years, right? Because you're able to take them through a simple checklist that they can follow and self-drive to learn all the things that they need to be able to do in the business. And it means that when I've onboarded team members into my organization, I've got them up to speed and adding value in under a week. And yet it typically takes less than 90 minutes of my direct time with them. 
or their manager's direct time with them because they're able to self-drive that onboarding and learn about that. And we've got a great guide on a regular webinar on how to free up 15 hours a week, reduce stress and unlock growth that covers like how do you do the onboarding, which people can find out more at airmanual.co forward slash webinar where we talk about this and we talk about like how do you reduce the amount of time it takes to onboard someone by like 80% and get them started in days. And of course, that's not just good for the business, it's good for the employee because they feel more valued and empowered and supported and they want to add value in the same way as you say people join the business. They don't come to do a bad job, they want to do a good job. And so when you can help them very quickly start adding value and answer their own questions, they love that. And so I think that's what's important. You need to provide that as a solution. And so whilst Word documents and Excel files like get you some of the way there, and that's what we started with, they quickly become a mess. They don't scale and you end up back at square one. Alex, that has been fascinating. We'll put a link to Air Manual and De-Stress Your Business in the show notes for anybody to follow up that wants, wants to have a look at them. But now you have well and truly put forward a compelling business case today for why you should have a dedicated process documentation tool. Cool. Thank you. (laughs) It's been a pleasure talking to you about it, Kevin, I think. And if people have got questions, feedback, et cetera, you know, I'd really encourage them to reach out to me, connect to me on social media, Alexis Kingsbury. And as you say, people can find out more about what we do. You can get a, a kind of guide to air manual and a four-stage approach of how to apply processes in your business by uh, going to airmanual.link forward slash discover. And also you can get that guide on using AI and ChatGPT at airmanual.link forward slash AI forward slash ebook. I mentioned the webinar is available at airmanual.co forward slash webinar. I think dot link forward slash webinar works too. But yeah, I'd encourage people to like reach out and this has been useful. Like let me know that you heard it on Kevin's podcast and as we found before doing the recording, Kevin, we can geek out on this quite well, we a can. lot. We can geek out on this because I love a good piece of software. And you know, both you and I have mapped processes as management consult. Yeah. And we know where the cost is in processes. We know it's in putting errors right. We know it's in not having the steps in the right order. Mm. Yeah. So, Alexis, thank you for being this week's guest on the Grow CFO Show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me.